Chapter number 30 of Regiment of Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lola Janey of Virginia. Regiment of Women by Clements Dane. Chapter 30. Alwyn settled down with an ease that surprised herself. Much as she loved the country, a country life would have bored her to death, Claire had often assured her as a permanent state. But for a few weeks, it was certainly delightful. She enjoyed pottering about the garden with Jean and jogging into the village on her own account behind the obstinate pony, who, approving her taste in apples, allowed her to believe that she more or less regulated his direction and pace. She enjoyed the complicated smells of the village store, half post office, half emporium, and the taste of its gargantuan bull's eye. She sent, in the first enthusiasm of discovery, a tinful heaped about with early primroses to Claire, but Claire was not impressed. Claire disapproved strongly of Alwyn's holiday, needed her too much to allow it necessary. Her first letters were a curious mixture, half fretfulness over Alwyn's absence, half assurance of how perfectly well she, Claire, got on without her. Alwyn would have been exquisitely amazed could she have known how eagerly Claire awaited her bi-weekly budget. Alwyn was afraid her letters were dull enough. She apologized constantly. Of course, Claire, this will seem very small beer to you, but little things are important down here. It's all so quiet, you see. I've been perfectly happy this morning because I found a patch of white violets in the clearing, and Jean and Alicia were just as excited when I told them at lunch. And we went off with a tea basket afterwards and dug violet roots for an hour or more and then spread our mackintoshes over a fell trunk and made tea. The ground was sopping, but it was fun. You'd love my cousins. They're as old as Elizabeth, but full of beans. And they've traveled and are interesting. Only they will talk incessantly about this nephew they've got. It's Roger this and Roger that. He seems to rule them with a rod of iron. Can't do wrong. He comes back next week. I rather wonder what he'll be like. The deers make him out a paragon, but I'm expecting a prig myself. There are photographs of him all over the place. He's quite good-looking. But before Alwyn could tire of the lanes and village, of gardening with Jean and hints of how Roger stubbed up roots and handled bulbs, Alicia had provided her with a new interest. She remembered her promise one morning and took her up to Denae Compton. Alicia gave Italian lessons twice a week, and from her Alwyn had gleaned many quaint details of the school and its workings. What she heard interested her, though she was prepared to be merely, if indulgently, amused. She looked forward to the visit, if only to get a copy for a letter to Claire. Claire, too, liked to be amused. The gong was clanging for the mid-morning break when Alicia, Alwyn in her wake, led the way into the main building and, waving her airily towards a mound of biscuits, bade her help herself and look about her for a while because she, Alicia, had got to speak to. She dived into the crowd. 
Alwyn, thus deserted, stood shyly enough on a roofed corner of the great brick quadrangle, munching a fair imitation of a dog biscuit, and watching the boys and girls who swarmed past her as undisturbed by her presence as if she were invisible. At the boys she smiled indulgently, as she would have smiled at a string of lively terriers, but the girls she was sharply critical. They wore curious, as she thought, hideous serge tunics. She jibbed at their, their utilitarian plaits. But she conceded a good carriage to most of them and was impressed by a certain pleasant fearlessness of manner. A couple of men, Alicia, and a bright emphatic woman in a nurse's uniform, wandered through the crowd, which made way courteously enough, but seemed otherwise in no degree embarrassed by their propiquity. Alwyn had a sudden memory of Claire's triumphal processions, compared them uneasily with the fashion of these quiet people. She watched a small girl dash panting to the loggia at the opposite side of the quadrangle, where a slight man in disreputable tennis shoes leaned against a shaft and observed the pleasant tumult. There was a moment's earnest consultation and the small girl darted away again and disappeared down a corridor. The man resumed his former pose, head on one side, smiling a little. Alwyn ventured out of her corner and caught at Alicia as she passed. Cousin Alice, I like all this. I'm glad you brought me. Who's that? She nodded towards the man in tennis shoes. The head. The headmaster? Why not? But when Miss Marsham comes in, you can hear a pin drop. Is he nice? Alicia laughed. I'll introduce you. She did. Well, said Alicia with a twinkle as they walked home together later, what did you think of him? Alwyn flushed, but she laughed too. Cousin Alice, it was too bad of you. He just said, how do you do? And smiled politely. Then he said nothing at all for five minutes. And then he clutched at one of the girls and handed me over to her with another smile, an immensely relieved one, and drifted away. I've never been so snubbed in my life. You're not the first one, so you didn't like him. Oh, I liked him, conceded Alwyn grudgingly. They walked on in silence for a while. What's that? Alwyn pointed to a large gray building halfway down the avenue. The girl's house. Hill Denae, they sleep there and have the needlework classes and housewifery, I believe. Do they have everything else with the boys? Practically. Does it answer? Why not? Girls with brothers and boys with sisters have an advantage over the solitary specimens. Everybody knows. This is only extending the principle. Alwyn giggled suddenly. You know that girl he dumped me onto? She was showing me round and we ran into some boys in the gym. I couldn't make out why, but she jolly well sent them flying. Out of hours, I expect. But the coolness of it, Cousin Alice, she was a bit of a thing. The boys were half as high again, but not prefects. Oh, I see, Alwyn meditated. Oh, Cousin Alicia, that girl asked me to go with them next Saturday for a tramp. Over which hill? She and another girl and some boys, imagine they're going by themselves without a master or mistress or anything. Why not? We don't. We crocodile. 
two and two and two and two and two and two. And I trot along at the side and see that they don't take arms. But of course, you can't control the day girls. One of them asked two of the boarders out for the day one Sunday. At least her mother did. And we met them after church on the promenade, arm in arm, all three. I tell you, there was a row. They were locked up in their bedrooms for three days, and nobody might speak to them for the rest of the term. Miss Marsham said it was defiance and that they might remember they were ladies. I don't think they want ladies here, said Alicia. They're quite content if they produce gentle women. Your school must be peculiar. Oh, no, said Alwyn, opening her eyes. There are dozens of schools like Utterbridge. I was at two myself when I was young. It's this place that's peculiar. It's like nothing I've heard of. I want to explore. He said I could. Yes, I forgot. He did say that. That I was to come up whenever I liked. And for the next week, Alwyn spent a good half of her days at Denae Compton. She clung at Alicia's skirts at the first, afraid of appearing to intrude. But soon she found that she might go where she would without arousing curiosity or even notice, though boys and girls alike were friendly enough when she spoke to them. Accustomed to her mistress ship, she was half piqued, half amused to find herself so entirely unimportant. But the grade school fascinated her. It was scarce a third larger than her own in point of numbers, but the perfection of its proportions made it impressive. The arrangements for the children's physical well-being reflected the methods employed for their spiritual development. There was an insistence on sunlight and fresh air and space, above all, space. There was no calculation of the legal minimum of cubic feet. Body and mind alike were given room in which to turn, to stretch themselves, to grow. Gradually, she realized that she had been living for years in a rabbit warren. With her discoveries, she filled many sheets of notepaper. But Claire's letters were nicely calculated to divert enthusiasm. Their tone was changing. They allowed Alwyn to guess herself missed. There was in them a hint of appeal, a suggestion of lonely evenings, never a word of Alwyn's doings. Yet, by implication, description of her new friends and their outlook was dismissed as unnecessary. Claire, Alwyn was to realize, would smile pleasantly as she read and think it all rather silly. Elizabeth, so pleased that they are so kind to you at Alicia's school, was more genuinely uninterested. Denae Compton had been the home of a certain John Lumsden for Elizabeth. She did not care for descriptions of his metamorphosis. She wanted to hear about Denae and her cousins and how Alwyn was eating and sleeping and if Roger Lumsden had come back yet. She asked twice if Roger Lumsden had come back yet. But Alwyn had an annoying habit of leaving her questions unanswered through eight closely written sheets. It was not only Claire who was very tired of co-education and Denae Compton. But Elizabeth got her news at last and was satisfied with it as Machiavelli's usually are, whose plots are being developed by unconscious and self-willed instruments. Alwyn, who in her spare time had discovered what spring in the country could mean, tucked in the news at the end of an epistle that was purely botanical. 
and cuckoo pint and primroses and violets. Have you ever seen larches in bud? Oh, Elizabeth, why can't we live in the country? Every collection of buildings bigger than Denae Village ought to be raised by an act of parliament. I expect the earth hates cities as I hated warts on my hand when I was little. Well, I must stop. Oh, the Lumsden man turned up a day or two ago. The dears were in ecstasies as he led himself to be fussed over in the calmest way, as if he had a perfect right to it. I think he's conceited. I don't think you'd like him. He's back for good, apparently, but he won't worry me much. I'm only in at meals. The dears are always busy and let me do as I like, and I either go up to Compton or prowl or take a rug and book into the garden. It's quite hot although it's barely April, so you needn't worry. The garden is jolly, big and half wild. Only Roger is beginning to trim it, the vandal. He's by way of being a gardener, you know. Great on bulbs and roses, I believe. By the way, is he a relation? Even the dears are only very distant cousins, aren't they? Because he will call me Alwyn as if he were. I call it cheek. I was very stiff, but he's got a hide like a rhinoceros. When I said Mr. Lumsden, he just grinned. So now I say Roger very markedly whenever he says Alwyn. I can't see what Jean and Alicia see in him, but of course I have to be polite. They are dears, if you like, are giving me a lovely time. I hope you're not very dull, Elizabeth dear. You must try and get out of this lovely weather. Why not have Claire to tea one day? You'd both enjoy it. I heard from her yesterday. Such a jolly letter. Heaps of love from Jean and Alicia. And you know what a lot for me? Alwyn. P.S. I found these violets today on a bank behind the church. They'll be squashed when you get them, but they'll smell still. P.S. The Lumsden man saw me writing and said, would I send you his love? And do you remember him? I told him I'd scarcely heard you mention his name, so it wasn't probable. But he just smiled his superior smile. He reminds me of Mr. Darcy in P&P. &P. I can't say I like him. End of chapter 30